What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney For 18 years Greg McEwen has been fascinated with the question what holds people, teams, and organizations back from breaking through to the next level? The answer to his great surprise is success. He teaches a way of thinking he calls essentialism, which enables people to figure out what is really essential, to eliminate everything else, and to make execution of what really matters as effortless as possible. The disciplined pursuit of less allows people to channel their time, energy, and effort toward making the highest possible contribution to what really matters. The way of the essentialist means living by design, not by default. Hey guys, are you interested in receiving 20% off your entire order of the apparel brand that's taking the fitness world by storm? If so, head to 10,000.cc, use discount code WGYT, and you're going to be getting 20% off your entire order of my favorite fitness apparel brand, 10,000. 10,000 is making the most comfortable and versatile shorts out there on the planet. I recently picked up a pair of their interval shorts, which are perfect for a long hike or an intense session in the gym. I'm loving their stuff and highly recommend you guys check them out. Remember, head to 10,000.cc, use discount code WGYT, and you guys will be feeling good and looking good. Greg, welcome to What Got You There. Thanks a lot for joining us today. It's great to be with you, Sean. Yeah, no, this is the perfect time for me personally to be having this conversation. I feel like I'm stretched too thin. Instead of focusing on a few key things, I'm experiencing decision fatigue and not getting the big items done. I mean, you wrote your book, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. What is essentialism? Uh, it's exactly what you just described. It's a, it's a way to, in a disciplined way, to figure out what's essential uh, eliminate what is not essential and then create a system to help us to make that trade-off to uh, to get rid of the thing that doesn't matter and to actually execute as effortlessly as possible on the thing that does. That's an excellent definition, Greg. So I want to know, though, is this a skill that can be learned and developed? I, I think that everybody can you know, make a standard deviation or two between being a non-essentialist and an essentialist. You know, maybe there are certain things that are really deep wired in us that we maybe aren't going to shift perfectly. But, but I think that the most of us can move, you know, a, a pretty decent degree from the learned behaviors that we've been following, which tend to be non-essentialist, and shift over uh, to becoming uh, essentialist. Uh, in fact, I worked with an executive one time who uh, who, who not only uh, progressed to become an essentialist, but also went back to being a non-essentialist and shifted to an essentialist again. So I think for many of us, you know, it's actually quite fluid. It's not, either, even on a given day, it could be fluid. And uh, his story is interesting and illustrative because uh, he was doing award-winning work at one company because he was so focused on what was the essential project. And he, he got the resources. He was successful in that project. He helped put that company on the map at the time with a product that many people listening will have actually used. Uh, and, uh, and, and then it partially as a result of that success, that company was purchased by a larger, and as it turns out, a more bureaucratic firm. So he goes to the new uh, company and he forgets in a way what has just made him so successful. 
and, and it's all for good intent. He says, well, look, I want to be a good team player in this new organization. I want to be a good citizen. I want to be helping people out. And he, he, he broadly speaking, just starts saying yes to everyone and everything without thinking about it too much. And very quickly, because of the difference of the culture of the company he goes into, he finds that he's, his, his, you know, his, the quality of his work is going down at the same time as his stress is going up. Uh, and uh, he, he almost quits the company, uh, sort of retires, and somebody says, look, what you should do is retire in role, in your current role, which was a sort of counterintuitive suggestion to him, uh, and, and, and it didn't mean quit, stay, and don't tell anybody. It, that wasn't the idea. It was, could you operate in a way as, as if you're only going to get paid for the value you actually create? so that you strip away any of these just sort of nice-to-have things or, or, or just extras and really do the, the, the valuable work itself. And so he starts doing this, negotiating all sorts of things, uh, being really selective, questioning whether, you know, when somebody asked him to do it, just pausing and negotiating, and not just going to a meeting because he was invited to it, not just responding to an email just because he got it, uh, not jumping on an every email exchange uh, you know that's that's going on and in, in, in group emails and group texts and 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 he said what happened is he got his life back. Uh, he, he said he, even personally it affected his personal life, which is to say that he was eating dinner with his wife every night. Again, he was going to the gym every night. He, he, when he got to work, what he was surprised about after a few months of this experiment was that his performance evaluations had gone up and he ended that year with one of the largest bonuses of his whole career up to that point. And, and so this idea of, of being an essentialist, first of all, as this story illustrates, you know, he was doing it, that he stopped doing it, that he started doing it. So it clearly is something that we can, we can learn and need unlearn uh, and then sometimes learn again. And so for many of us, there have been moments we have been essentialist in our approach, and we've seen the good results that come of it, and and that uh, and and that we get pulled, uh, you know, pulled away from those things that we learned. And it, indeed, there's a name for that, which is the the the, uh, the paradox of success. Uh, so not only can we learn to become essentialist, as we become essentialist, the very nature of doing essentialist work will produce so many options and opportunities that we can easily become non-essentialists because of that new success. And so in order to continue in an upward success journey, we have to become more and more essentialist over time. Otherwise, our successes will pull us into the non-essential. Does that make sense? No, it does. And when you talk about the paradox of success, is there a weekly, monthly, yearly check-in that, that you should be doing in order to make sure you're staying on that track of essentialism? Yes, I think so. I, I mean, there are, there are a variety of, way of, of check-ins, a cadence of, of, uh, of, of exploration that I'd recommend. But, but one of them that I think is really powerful is a personal quarterly offsite uh, where, you know, the job is to get away from all the reactiveness and all of the, you know, the digital noise, both those taps that are coming on us and also the, just the avoidance of, 
of life where we pursue distractions, Netflix binge watching, that sort of thing, and just get rid of all of that and go away. Maybe it's as much as a whole day to really look at your life and say, okay, what are all the things that are going on? And then particularly to come out of that experience with clarity around what are the, the, the one, two, maybe it tops three big things you want to do over the next quarter. It, it doesn't mean that you'll only do one, two or three things. It, it means that you will push out enough space and time to give a generous amount of time and energy to the big thing, the thing that will be the game changer, uh, the thing that is you know, really highly important, the, the priority uh, for the next 90 days. And, and, and so if it, it means that as we then enter the, you know, the somewhat chaotic experience of, of normal life, as we enter that again from the personal quarterly offsite, we aren't just reactively saying yes to anything at any time from anyone, which is, I really think, a, a default, uh, default strategy for many people uh, is they, um, they sort of react to life. So that's one really tangible thing I think people can do uh, to, to, to keep managing this paradox of success. No, I love this idea around a personally quarterly offsite. Now, for this, are you actually traveling to a specific location to escape distraction? Or is it, hey, I can just sit in my office for one day entirely and be able to think clearly? Yeah, I think it makes I think it makes sense. It certainly works for me best and uh, and I think for other people too to get out. You know, just like you'd imagine with an executive, uh, you know, it's an offsite. Uh, that's that's sort of inherent in the title. In fact, that uh, personal quarterly offsite, get offsite out of the the, the normal flow of work, uh, the the normal pressures and 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 current commitments. So it, you know, it doesn't have to be an expensive place, but it you know, people can certainly go to a hotel of choice or just get out to kind of retreat location. Get out to the beach. Get out to the uh, to you know to the hills somewhere. Go even even go sit in you know in the bookstore uh, in a library. I mean, I, I put some headphones on. But the idea is to is to eliminate as much of the noise as possible. I know somebody that does it this way. They they actually have a second phone. So it's a bit of an extreme case, but their second phone is one of these just little credit card sized phones. Only two people have the telephone number. So if, if, you know, if there's an emergency, he can be reached. Uh, but, but otherwise he isn't going to be distracted. He isn't going to suddenly be texting people or receiving them. And, and so he, he, he just wants to be off the grid. Uh, and, and, and really in this sort of always on culture, um, you know, we have to be careful um, that that we aren't just dominated in uh, you know by this noise, uh, and so again, one way to make sure that technology is in its place as a good servant, but uh, you know, instead of being a poor master, is is just to push all of that out, uh, and and just to to go out and and to think through strategically through your life. Where am I? What's been going on? What are the big wins of the last 90 days? What's going right? Uh, wh wh why do I care about those things? 
what do I want? Uh, you know, what, what would I like to achieve over the next 90 days over the things that have been most important and, and special to me over the last 90 days? Um, but, but then also to wrestle with some decisions, to say <clears throat> a decision comes from the Latin uh, sid or sis, which means to cut or to kill. And so when we make decisions, when we have a decision process, it means that we're really deciding not to do something. And so this is hard work. I mean, it, it requires a wrestle. It requires a sacrifice, a cost to cut, to kill something, to eliminate something. But but as you do this, this is a really important pruning work. And it's hard to do that in the moment. It's hard to weigh up the pros and cons between two really good opportunities or ideas or commitments that you've made. But when you have this offsite, it's a great opportunity to really sit and wrestle with these things so that you eliminate some things and you walk away going, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to relieve that pressure uh, that I'm currently feeling. So you're changing up your physical location. You're eliminating many of these distractions. I, I would love to know some specifics that you use as well, or maybe even some other executives you worked with, because I know the listeners will take a ton of value out of this. Are, are you journaling when you're doing this? What's the actual process like? Yeah, there's, there's, there, are different, uh, there are different processes. Um, you know, one that comes to mind um, where I was kind of running a personal course of the offsite. Well, not kind of actually running it for a series of executives and leaders um, is, is that I, I had them go through a process. None of them had, I think none of them had ever gone through at least the way we did it, uh, which was to create a very long-term perspective of their life. Um, not just even, not just like, okay, let's look at the last two or three years of your life and the next two or three years and not even, the last 10 or 20 years and the next 10 or 20, which is much, much longer term thinking than, than I think most people are doing on a daily basis. But, but, but I wanted to break even, I wanted them to break even their perspective of birth till death thinking, which is about as long term as, as anyone does. You know, there's, there's, there are exceptions, but most people don't go beyond that level of thinking when they think long term. Um, and so what, what, what I did is I, I, started, I started with people's great-grandparents, and I asked them, okay, tell me about your great-grandparents, and they had a chance to interview each other. So in this case, they were working in pairs, and they, they had to interview each other. What, what, do you even, do you, what do you know about your great-grandparents? Do you know anything? What do you know? What were their names? Where did they live? What, what did they, how did they impact you? Um, what... what uh, what was their positive and negative legacy to you? And you don't have to take a long time over this. 10, 15 minutes might be enough to gather. People don't know, know much normally. Uh, and then you do the same for grandparents. Um, same idea. What do you learn? What do you gain? What did, you, what, what did they pass on to you positively, positively and negatively? What has withstood the test of time? And then the same for parents. Same questions. Um, and so... Then you start to evaluate your life. Okay, what what have I what have been my most important experiences in my life so far? What have been the things that I've really invested in? When have been those times I've really been able to do work that mattered? What work have I done in my life that I 
uh, if I was doing it over again, I would spend a lot less energy on. Uh, they just weren't, weren't really valuable uses of my time. Where have I wasted time in my life? Um, then, then, you know, this is sort of birth till the moment you're sitting in the chair. You, you're kind of trying to do an evaluation of your whole life uh, up to this point. Again, you don't have to take a long time over it, but you, there's something helpful about the experiment of thinking through it. You know, you know, five-year chunks maybe or 10-year chunks, just going through what are the highs and the lows and what can I learn from it. So all of this is creating perspective. And then you're doing the same in the other direction. So you're saying, okay, what, what, would, I, what would I most like to leave to my children? But that's not sufficient. Then you have to say, what, what, what would be really important to my grandchildren? And, and, and that's necessary, but not sufficient. You must go even one, just one generation further. What would be important to my great-grandchildren? Now, when you've done it that way, what you've got is 100 years in the past from the moment you're sitting there, 100 years in the past, and 100 years in your future. And that's a really important time scale because what it does is it gets you out of um, this, this, as I say, this sort of trap of birth, till death thinking. And the longer term, the longer you go, the more clearly you start to discern the essential few from the trivial many. There are so many good things and so few essential things. But in our busy life, the nature of business is that we aren't taking time to think, space to reflect. And so everything starts to feel almost equally important. And so certainly we can't really discern, we start to get a bit burned out. We can't really discern the difference between, between any of the activities on our to-do list. They all just start to merge. They're all equally important. I just got to do them all. And, and life is about trying to sort of efficiently or productive get our way through it. Uh, more and more and more. And, and as, as a result, we often underinvest in those few things that really do matter over the longer run. So I think that's a, an exercise that, that I've gone through. And I remember, I remember doing this with my wife at one time. And there were key insights that came to her, uh, really key strategic insights that this was several years ago. And it has materially changed the decision-making that we've made since then. Like it has really massively shifted. So really these were sort of one or two decisions that made a thousand decisions. And, and that's exactly what you're looking for when you're doing these offsites is just those two or three changes and decisions that shift the whole ship of your life. Uh, towards you know where you really want to be going in your life, uh, instead of just taking you know the the easiest the easiest uh, journey. This is absolutely fascinating to me. I know there's a ton of takeaways already. I'm curious though, what what led you initially down this path to essentialism? Well, I re well with essentialism. I mean, I, I there are a variety of ways of answering that question, and 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 I was working with with companies, uh, Silicon Valley companies, that I noticed this paradox of success happening at the, at the organizational level. They would be successful. They would have clarity that would lead to success. The success would breed so many options and opportunities. 
they would end up over-investing in too many different things. And then that would begin sort of a catalyst of failure in their organization. And so that was what I was observing professionally. Uh, but then personally, I remember getting an email from um, uh, my manager at the time. It said, uh, Friday would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby because I needed to be at this client meeting between one and two. And I'm sure they were joking, or at least perhaps they were. Um, but nevertheless, something about that moment left me feeling I've got to somehow navigate, you know, potentially all, you know, all of what's going on. My wife was expecting, of course, otherwise an even stranger email to receive. Uh, and Thursday late in the night, that's when, uh, my, uh, that's when my wife gave birth to uh, our daughter and, uh, we're, you know, Friday comes along. So we're still in the hospital. Everybody's okay. As well as everybody is after they've gone through the valley of the shadow of death the night before. Um, but, uh, uh but w w you know, I'm feeling torn. I'm still feeling torn and this is on me. It's not on anybody else. It's my responsibility. What I did with that pressure or what I did with that scenario, but to, you know, and to my shame, I, I chose to go to the meeting and, um, and, you know, I made a fool's bargain. I violated something more important or something less important. And what I learned was the simplest of lessons, which is if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. And, uh, and, you know, that's what I learned from it. But people listening to this can ask themselves questions to sort of get a sense of a litmus test of where they are, you know, you know, have you ever found yourself like I was feeling stretched too thin at work or at home? Have you ever found yourself like I was uh, feeling busy, but not productive? Are they, are they sensing at least sometimes that their life is being hijacked by other people's agenda for them? If they're answering yes to any of those questions, they are at least in a non-essentialist cycle. They're in a period. And so the answer is, you know, at least the answer I'd be advocating, uh, the essentialist practices. And the practices grow out of, uh, of research that I've done about how you can um, shift from the undisciplined pursuit of more to the disciplined pursuit of less. Uh, and, and a, you know, as generally, at the general level, it's, uh, to explore what is essential, it's to eliminate what is non-essential, and it's to then execute by using building a system, a routine, uh, or a system that makes execution as easy as possible. And in the personal quarterly offsite is just one vehicle for applying that framework every ninety days, so that you figure out to you know you as I said your clarity is. You're there to get clarity. What is essential? And there to get clarity about well, what am I willing to give up, uh, or or, or reduce, you know, or invest less in, so that I can really execute on what I've just identified as really mattering. I mean, this is this is the whole purpose of it, uh, of, of that offsite. What you're willing to give up? One of those big questions a lot of people don't like to answer. They don't like to part with with certain things and strategies. You you mentioned turning this into a routine, and I'm interested. What type of routines you've established over the past year that that you believe in and work well for you in your situation? Well, I I mean, I'll I'll give a very sort of live answer to that, which is that uh, that over 
over the holidays, I really used it in a sense, the whole, you know, the whole period as a reflective process, a sort of expanded uh, offsite experience. Um, and, and I had lots of other things going on, um, but, uh, but I was on a long drive with my wife, uh, you know, going and coming back. And so on that, we were really having not a, a planning meeting, but decision meeting where we're going through one by one, making decisions and applying it the way I just described, trading off which things we're going to do, and which things we're not going to do. And, and uh, I, one of the things that has just happened um, is, that, uh, is that I've just agreed to do, um, you know, just struck a deal to do uh, another book. And I won't be talking about what that book's about or anything, but, uh, but it's a big deal because, uh, because that's like a serious amount of work to do it right. And I've already put a serious amount of work into it uh, over the last couple of years, preparing and selecting and being thoughtful and waiting until I was really sure about what the subject was and so on. But it means that now as I, as, as I enter that, you know, this is, this is a big project. This is one of just a, just a couple of big projects for, for me professionally for, for 2019. And it means that it has lots of ramifications for routine. And so my wife and I have, were, were evaluating which things to do and which things to, to not do to allow this to, to happen without it just being a big stress for everybody. Um, and so, you know, I mean, one of the things that are in the routine, I, mean, I guess up early anyway, but uh, maybe get up about 5.30, I take my children to, uh, to an early morning class that they do, and then my wife and I will go and walk together, uh, something like 50 minutes brisk walk, uh, where we'll get to talk as well and, and, and reflect and connect uh, from from. From then, there's a series of other things that we do with our children, with our family, a whole routine that's been designed. Uh, but it means that come nine o'clock, and, and this is not very, this is not that different than a lot of people's schedules in some ways. A nine to five day is like is, as traditional as you can get it to be. But the idea is that is that from nine to five and for, for this whole year will be spent working on the book not doing just other things. In fact, this is one of the very last podcasts I'll do because I'm moving into this monk, monk mode um, uh, routine. Where and, and, and let me just tell you this about the, the experience of going into monk mode. is that it's, um, it, 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 You have to work hard to build the system, build the routine, right? As I said, nine to five isn't hard, isn't that hard? Okay, that's what everybody normally does. But you've got to figure out all the things that used to be in that nine to five period, and make plans for those, and either eliminate them or put push them to the the, the periphery or invest less in them. Uh, and and the, the the great thing is, once you have designed the system, is that it's just fabulous. Because it's exactly opposite of the non-essentialist approach. The non-essentialist approach evaluates each new opportunity on its own merits 
as if it's not related to an existing life and an existing set of commitments. In this case, when you have something that's big and that the time is allotted for it, it's so, so easy to say no to things or to push them out or to say, well, we'll we can talk about it in a year <laughs> because the big yes is so clear and so designed and so protected. Uh, it's easy to, to, as soon as somebody, oh, can I, can I come over and over the last year, oh, can I drop this thing off at 10 o'clock? Oh, yeah, there's no reason not to. At least you feel like that. So you're endlessly accommodating to any schedule, even though you, they don't need you to be necessarily and you don't need to be. And so now it's easy. Uh, saying no is, is, in comparison, is effortless. Um, you know, oh, can I meet with, oh, yeah, I'd love to meet, but it, it can't be between these hours. You, know, you just, it's just done because you've done that internal work and that scheduling and routine work. Um, so anyway, there you go, there's my answer. No, well, congratulations on getting the book deal done. I, I know we did squeeze this one in. I, I thought this was going to be a year from now, but I appreciate you making the time. You talk about the system and going into your monk mode. Is there anything specific during your research or your actual writing process that, that you've found incredibly beneficial for you? Um, you mean specific things I do in, that helpful for me for writing is that what you asked? correct yeah something specific to you it could, it could be something as specific as hey i have a double espresso right when i get into the office and that helps yeah. me go or it could be a specific tool you use i don't i don't use i don't use a food element um i'm i like my, my food thing well you weren't really asking food but 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 now it's triggered that for me and what a riff on it i a year ago i decided to be off sugar of the year and uh yeah i did that so that was uh, you know made made a year on that new year's resolution and, and so i'm carrying on with that i don't i don't uh, you know don't do coffee don't uh, actually don't drink alcohol don't um i really just drink water in fact uh i'm off gluten now this year I can't believe I've become that guy. You know, isn't that the worst? Uh, hey, well, it's <laughs> yeah, working so for you, right? Yeah, I, I mean, if you're sticking free. with it, I have to imagine you're, you're experiencing some benefits, right? Yeah, it's so so much better to feel in, in control of yourself. It's, it's, it's discipline, isn't it? It's disi to feel discipline, to feel in discipline is far more satisfying than than than, than the momentary benef benefit of... Um, uh, that, that you do, I do think there's a benefit, but there's a, a, just a very temporary benefit to me, at least, of, of consuming caffeine or sugar or these things, these very momentary highs. It doesn't feel good afterwards, and and so eliminating all of it and just feeling that again, you, you know, our bodies again, it's like technology. They make a, a good servant, but a very poor master. And if our bodies are mastering us, then then really, it's it, it it's it will limit everything else we're trying to do will be affected by that, uh, by that, you know, um, uh, misalignment. Uh, um, now to your specific question, something that I really like and, and I've been doing this time around, uh, on the book is to write the book, uh, longhand, uh, in a notebook or in my journal. And I, I don't mean only there, I do have a digital version of it and, and, and it gets, you know, typed up and so on. But, but what it's doing for me and I am really enjoying it is that I can't 
edit everything immediately. You know, when you when you're writing, you know, you can write a paragraph and before you even finish the paragraph, you've rewritten the paragraph. And before you finish the sentence, you've rewritten the sentence. And so you can go through a cycle of, instead of moving forward and actually just pushing your thinking forward. And so I, I found that to be really helpful, um, you know, process so far. And I intend to continue that, uh, you know, at least in the short term, um, because, because I think it will just, uh, you know, propel the process uh, and and stop stop being in this um, endless rethinking and and, and tweaking process, you know, uh, phase. Uh, what we need to do is get the story written. What we need to do is get the, uh, you know, this section, whatever the assigned section is, a version of it done. And I think in a, in a, a journal process, that's easier for me. And I always have my journal with me all the time. Um, I mean, literally almost everywhere I go. And so I, I write a journal just faithfully anyway. And so it just, it's just a very natural process. Wherever I am, whatever else is going on, I can still pause, stop. It's not the same as whipping out a laptop. You can just sit there uninterrupted with all the other noise and of course again there's all the other noise that isn't in a journal uh i mean it's my favorite technology i i, I really I, I think it is a technology and i think what it can't do is so valuable uh you know it, it doesn't tap me it doesn't disrupt me it doesn't doesn't tell me here's breaking news uh, that, that really isn't breaking news you know it's, it, it allows concentrated deep thinking and so um, I, I've used a journal in a variety of ways over the years. I've just hit about eight years of not missing a day of writing my journal, literally not one day for the last eight years. And, uh, and I haven't missed many days in the last 15, 20 years. Um, but, um, uh, but this using it now, the goal is, you know, to write the book every day and I'm already really enjoying the process. I wasn't enjoying the process up until making the two shifts we just talked about, building the routine and writing in the journal. Before then, it was very stressful. I needed to do this. I got to do this. I've got to do this. But the routine wasn't built. So you can't do it. Uh, and, and always in a, in a technology for, in a digital technology format, it, is, it means that you can spin on the same thing 10 times. Um, so anyway, there you go. There's a couple of things. No, I absolutely love that approach. I know we just have a few short minutes left. I would love to know about your learning process, though. You mentioned carrying the journal at all times. Are you strictly reading other books? Are there blogs, articles? How do you consume new data? Uh, there's, there's, uh, there's a variety of, of parts of that process. Uh, I mean, the first thing I want to say is, is, is something I heard um, uh, Jerry Seinfeld say, which I really related to, someone asked him, you know, how long, how many hours did it take you to come up with the, the recent Netflix uh, one hour special that you did? And he said, he said, it's impossible. He said, is that how you answer that? He said, he said, it's like asking God how long it took him to grow the oak tree. He's like, I, I'm doing it all the time. That, that's, he, he says, I, you know, so you can't say, well, it took me 30 hours to do this. It's his whole life. He's been every single day working on comedy. 
and writing his bits on his, he uses the yellow pads, right? Always on the yellow pads. And that's, that is his process. And so you can't separate it. And in a similar way, I was just, in fact, just this week reading back from my journal from 1999 and reading, it was fascinating actually to read um, uh, the, the goals that I'd set and a feeling I had and a sense, so I want to write a book, I want to do this and, and, um, and to, to re- reflect on that since actually I put one bit, yeah, I'd set a goal uh, to, to write a, a bestseller by the time I was 40 and uh and and you know uh, that's what essentialism has turned out to be and so that was pretty interesting to read that um but 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 also i just it made me think i mean this is 20 years so this new book i'm working on is a 20-year process i've been reading constantly uh not knowing that this would be the title or this would be the book uh, but constantly reading. I mean, it's a it's an endless pursuit. It's an endless wish. It, I, I fire for the deed. I read constantly. Uh, you know, I, I I prefer to read uh, books. Uh, over the last few years, a change for me is I, I just I just hunger for the classics um, and to read about uh, important figures in history. I just finished the the biography of um, of. Uh, uh, John Adams, uh, 850 page biography by, uh, by David McCullough. Fabulous. I'm just a brilliant read. I, I, I've turned down way down, uh, the news intake, the daily news intake, which was a shame for me because I, I love, I love journalism. I love what it can be as a journalist undergrad. Uh, but, but I just finally realized that it was, it was, I wasn't reading journalism really anymore i was reading you know almost gossip columns almost everything's gossip it's, oh this person tweeted about that thing and this is what this person said in response it's just like the, the deep thinking that i once felt i was going to get there is just not that this doesn't feel as as valuable as the amount of time i was giving to it so i deliberately said okay i'm not going to be reading this stuff or at least if i read it it will be a very small amount and instead, I want to read these classics. And so, you know, read Anna Karenina and, and, uh, and the whole, whole, whole series of books that uh, I necessarily need to get into here. But, but, um, but I, I want to be in that kind of thinking. I want to be in, the re- in, in, in researching uh, the, the, the thinking that, is, that has lasted the, the centuries. So that then the second part of the job, of course, is to see which of these timeless ideas is especially timely now. So you, it's no good to just be on the mountaintop, so to speak, reading the classics. And your, your, your job is about holding on to that timelessness and then searching for how to make it highly relevant now. And you don't make it highly relevant, really. You you're listening to people now. You know, I, I, I speak to, uh, you know, I, I travel and speak at, at, at many conferences around the world now. And, and, and so, you know, this is thousands of that tens of thousands of people every year. And so I, I'm, I'm trying to take the pulse of, of the people that I'm talking to and listening to them and sensing what their challenge, what their challenges are. And so they're the ones that provide the timeliness 
well, that's what, what is their pain? What is the challenge in their life? And then I'm trying to connect the dots between what is most timely and what is most timeless. Uh, and, and, and so that you, you end up with something that you say, look, this has the power of relevancy, but it isn't going to be outdated a week from now or a month from now or a year from now, because it's built on, uh, on practices and principles that, that are either, you know, either just good for the long haul or maybe even, uh, you know, actually timeless or eternal what is most timely every once in a while you have those conversations at the exact point in time you need to have it for me this was one of those conversations the amount of notes i just took and how i'm outlooking this future year and then the years going forward i can't thank you enough greg i know you've done enough of these you know we're going to have everything linked up in the show notes if you want to leave the listeners with one thing what should that be um you know I know I'm thinking a lot here for this question. The one thing I want to leave people on is light. Yeah, I know that isn't quite doesn't sound like quite where we've been in the conversation, but but it, it for me it has been. It's 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 start right now and look for the light. Look for the light in your life now in this moment. You always have a choice every time before us to look for sort of the dark or the light, uh, sort of Jedi-like, I suppose. The dark is the, the frustration, the irritation, what's not right, the lack that you have, what you don't have, what you don't have enough of, what uh, who, who's driving you crazy, what, you know, it's, it's, it's all of that. Um, but also in this moment, no matter what the situation is, Literally, no matter how bad it is, no matter how much of that first there is, there is also light. There is also something to be grateful for, something good, something wonderful, something to build upon, something hopeful, uh, something that is going right, something that you feel good about. And it is all about to look for that light. And, and of course, we won't do it all the time. We won't get this perfect. But if you look for that, it grows. Whatever you focused on, it grows. Uh, and and to, to manage your attention intentionally so that we're giving attention to what is light, this, uh, this means that it grows brighter and brighter uh, in our lives. And, and, and until maybe like almost the perfect day, just, we're just full of that light. And we can pass it to other people too and inspire them too. And so I think that would be my final thought. Greg, what a magnificent answer there to end out the podcast. Your book, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. I cannot wait to pick up your next book. You're going to have a ton of loyal readers here, but I cannot thank you enough for joining us on What Got You There. Best of luck in 2019 going into monk mode. Thank you, Sean. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that your physical fitness is one of the most important aspects of your life. So why do you keep wearing those old workout shorts that are falling apart? Or even worse, when you're at the gym and something smells a little ripe? If that's the case, it's time to turn in those old shorts for a new pair of 10,000 shorts. 10,000 makes it super simple to purchase your new favorite workout apparel. My new favorite short is their distance short, which is super comfortable, lightweight, and perfect for all of my fitness goals. 
I can say without a doubt that 10,000 shorts are the most comfortable workout shorts I have ever worn. Like myself, 10,000 is obsessed with nailing the fit with the highest quality materials and construction. For the listeners of What Got You There, 10,000 is offering 20% off your first order of shorts. Yes, that's 20% off. When you check out, make sure you request their one-in-one-out kit. They do this super cool thing when you can send in your old gear you have for recycling and you'll get 10% off your next order. Head to www.10,000.cc forward slash WGYT to receive 20% off your order. And if for some reason you don't love them, they have your back with free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns. A few months ago, my body was experiencing a ton of pain, and that's when my friend and former podcast guest, Noah Olson, turned me on to Pure Spectrum CBD. Their CBD products have been tremendous in relieving a lot of the pain in my body. Their products are pure because everything they make is tested every time for quality, consistency, and efficiency. They're 100% organic, third-party tested, there's a 100% guarantee, and they're THC-free. If you want to receive 10% off the entire site, head to PureSpectrumCBD.com and enter code WGYT. That's 10% off the entire website at PureSpectrumCBD.com with code WGYT. For the What Got You There listeners who love to travel and want to see the world, listen up. We've teamed up with Globekick, who make it affordable to enjoy peak life experiences with like-minded people from around the world. Globekick expertly designs, curates, and scouts global adventures for you to join. Each trip lasts one week and is designed to balance their unique blend of adventure, culture immersion, and relaxation. Globekick has some epic adventures planned, such as cage diving with great white sharks in Cape Town, South Africa, dog sledding and northern light chasing in Norway, and to see the rest, head to globekick.com. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then make sure to stop at globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.